This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 95. On today's episode, we're talking to author and kick-ass entrepreneur Ash Amberger about overcoming imposter syndrome and learning how to trust your gut. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. This episode is brought to you by Elite Blog Academy. And right now, we want to invite you to grab your copy of the newest edition of my best-selling book, How to Blog for Profit Without Selling Your Soul. This is the book that since 2013 has sold nearly 500,000 copies in more than 10 different languages. And now it has been completely updated and revised for 2020. Our goal at EBA is to get it into as many hands as we possibly can, which is why for a limited time, we will send it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is pay for shipping. To grab it, simply go to EliteBlogAcademy.com slash book. Once again, that's EliteBlogAcademy.com slash book. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I'm the founder of Living Well, Spending Less, and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including my newest book, Do It Scared. In today's episode, we're chatting with unapologetically in-your-face author and entrepreneur Ash Amberger about daring to reject the status quo and create the life you want. Ash is the founder of The Middle Finger Project, which is both the name of her blog and the title of her new book, a fresh, funny, and fearless point-by-point primer on how to get unstuck, slay imposter syndrome, trust in your own worth and ability, and become a strong, capable, ballsy you. Ash is all about empowering women to bravely take control of their own lives. And ultimately, that's exactly what this podcast is all about too. It's learning how to stop complaining about our circumstances and instead face our biggest challenges head on so that we can create a life we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean we're never afraid. Instead, Courage is being scared, but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when you're not quite sure where the path is going to lead. So as always, just a couple more quick things before we dive into today's episode. First, you can download the show notes for this episode, along with all the links to everything that we're going to talk about by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 95. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash episode 95. Also, if you have not done this already, be sure to head over to doitscared.com to take our free fear assessment to find out exactly how fear might be showing up in your life and potentially holding you back, as well as to discover exactly what you can start to do about it. And with that out of the way, without further ado, here is the very funny and very inspiring Ash Amberger. Hey, Ash. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. Thanks for being here today. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Hi. Hi. So I feel like we almost know each other because we have mutual friends. We do. We do, but we don't actually know each other. We haven't met before. So I just want to start... I want to start with the whole story, the whole like how you got to be doing what you're doing now, because you've got some like you've got some good twists and turns and drama in your background story. So lay it on us. What is how did you, who are you? How did you get to be doing what you're doing now? And tell us all the drama. Yeah. You know what? The, the best ones have the drama, right? I've totally read <laughs> your backstory. Like the best the best of us have been through it a little bit. But yeah, I mean, small town girl, rural Pennsylvania, trailer park upbringing, mom, severe social anxiety, didn't really leave the house. And I grew up always being really curious about what it was like to do work you were proud of. 
because I never really saw that modeled, right? And it wasn't my mom's fault by any means, but it was just her and I. I remember being mad at her when I was a little girl and screaming at her, like, why can't you just have a real job like everybody else? I feel like all of our problems would go away because there were little things, right? I was super embarrassed about our trailer. I would you know, leave out the back door to go to the bus stop, hoping that none of the kids nearby would see me. I mean, obviously that worked for five seconds. <laughs> Didn't work at all. <laughs> but I, I grew up with a lot of shame around that. So my mom actually passed away before I turned 21, leaving me with this, this sense of what do I do now? I kind of have all of the options in the world. I don't really have any other family left. I'm here. Um, what now? So I embarked on a mission and I went to the city of Philadelphia on, on this kind of journey to answer that question. You know, what does it look like to do work that you're proud of? And what does it mean to live a good life? And honestly, I was so fascinated. I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to eat lemon pepper chicken and like, you know, fresh cut bagels, which was very middle class for me. <laughs> <laughs> lemon pepper chicken and bagels was your was your big, like amazing meal. That is hilarious. Isn't that weird? I just always registered those things as being like things that middle class people ate. We were never eating bagels. I don't know. What did you eat? <laughs> I mean, my mom was Italian, so we had a lot of pasta, and she would make giant pots of it, so we'd eat it for like a week, uh, or <laughs> stew, very traditional kind of thing. Cheap food. Yeah, but I wanted SpaghettiOs. I wanted the stuff in the individual packs. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I did. I know. So I set off to Philadelphia on really what was the middle class project and trying very, very hard to observe. I mean, I noticed when I got to Philly that – uh, coach was not somebody's gym teacher and that nude was a nail color people paid money for. <laughs> and they had these things called farmer's markets and everyone had like live, laugh, love decals everywhere back then. Probably still. I don't know. <laughs> but it felt, I, I was really just an observer in this new like upper middle class where I, where I had moved in Philadelphia. Okay. And so that, I that was it. Wait, I need details of this. So you, how old were you when you did this? 21. 21. So well, like, what were you doing for money at this point? Did you have a job where you, you decide to go to Philadelphia and you're just, I just want to learn what people who don't live in a trailer park do. <laughs> yes. Yes. With their $15 glasses of white wine at the bar. Um, yeah. I got my first job in marketing for $32,000 a year, which I negotiated up from 29. And <laughs> I was just a marketing assistant at like a staffing company. How did you I, even get that job? Did you have, had you gone to college at that point? Yes. So I actually ended up getting a full scholarship to school from the founder of monster.com. Do you know that website? Yes. Yes. Really? How did you do that? He grew up in a rural Pennsylvania like place out west and he decided to give back once he got big so he picked the poorest county in pa and went to wow. our school yeah. wow it was a combo wow. of entrepreneurial spirit and financial need and i interviewed for it a few different times and went to penn state and i won <laughs> that's amazing yeah. that's, that's amazing yes. Yes, I ended up going to a place called Wilkes University in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Small liberal arts loved Wilkes. But it was like 60 grand a year. There was no way I could have ever gone there otherwise. So when you were there, was that like the beginning of your figuring out that there are people that live a lot differently than I have ever lived? I would think that'd be a pretty ritzy little school. You know, yes, yes and no, because there I was, you, when you're in college, you're in a dorm and everyone's kind of the same in a lot of ways. So you and didn't feel a lot of separation at that point? I didn't, but I definitely wouldn't have admitted readily that I came from a trailer park, I mean, to those people. <laughs> right. Right. So it was still, there's a lot of shame there still, but I loved that equalizer of being in a dorm and everyone's house was the same. That for me was awesome. <laughs> that, huh. That's yeah. interesting. Okay, so fast forward, you're in Philadelphia. You've got this job that you this marketing job that you're making $32,000 a year that you negotiated up from 29,000 and you're figuring out that people 
have a whole different set of standards. So what happens then? Yes. And you know, the reason why I got the job is because it was a staffing company. So I was originally interviewing for a position that was something like $12 an hour, um, doing some kind of data entry thing, (laughs) some kind of big media company. And the interview went so well that the girl said to me, hey, this is really just like random and off the cuff, but would you ever be interested in working here? We need someone in marketing and you'd be great for it, I think. And that's how that happened. So it was Wow. Here's so you weren't part. even trying to get this job. It was that it like landed in your lap. Yeah. And I had to make the decision between do I want the credibility of this big media company on my resume or do I want the autonomy and agency that this small, tiny company, no name, is going to give me? And I'm so glad I, I chose what I did. But it was terrifying because. I was so young and just kind of still going through a lot that I decided like a complete crazy person. When I went to this interview at the staffing company, I decided to try on a new last name. This is ridiculous. (laughs) This is ridiculous. My name was always Amberge. And then I was like, I'm going to add a little extra flair. I'm just going to try it out in this interview, knowing that I was not interviewing with them. Right. And I said, Amberge. And she goes, oh, is that French? I go, yeah, I think it is. Just, you know, I had nobody else in the world who could now claim that name. I was the only one left. I'm like, I'm going to have some fun with it. And then she offered me the job. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't plan for this. And now I can't say that I was lying about my name. That's creepy. So now I'm Ashley Amberjay to this day. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yes. So yes. You did, and then, did you ever change it, like, legally? No, it's the same spelling. It's it just changed the pronunciation. I know. That's awesome. That, that was the beginning of me starting to buck the rules. There you go. There you go. So you change your name. You basically give yourself an alter ego, which yes. Todd Herman would love. Oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. You're so right. So true. Yes. So true. Yes. Yes, I did. And then I walked in one day on uh, my boss. And my coworker was straddling his lap. And I was devastated. <laughs> I, did, I, I didn't, that for me was shocking. I, I was always a really good girl. I didn't ever expect to see that. And it crushed me. This one little event crushed me. And I ended up telling my coworker at this place about what happened. And she fell to pieces because turns out she was also having an affair with our boss for years. And that was the moment for me when I started to really question, you know, adults and, and do they do they know what they're doing or not? Because it kind of seemed like they didn't. They didn't really have it together. Wow. So all this time you had kind of grown up thinking it was your mom not having it all together, but everybody else in the world had it had their stuff together. And you were out there trying to figure it out. And suddenly this was the moment where you realized people don't. People suck. Mm-hmm. No, I really always thought that there was this committee of like true and actual greatness, almost like, uh, I don't know, like the FDA or some kind of committee (laughs) (laughs) who was making kind of the rules on behalf of society on how to be a responsible, good adult. And man, it, it just, it couldn't be further from the truth. And while that was terrifying to me, in retrospect, it also really empowered me to take some more risks because I realized that if everyone is just guessing as they go, then I might as well just guess too. Oh. Okay. So then what happened? So, so then walking I, in on your boss doing trigger. the doing the deed with one of your coworkers was the trigger that made you decide you could do anything with your life. Well, yeah, I quit that week and I I mean I wasn't that like it wasn't that it didn't prepared. happen that instantaneously. <laughs> Just like no, in no. hindsight, that was the trigger. <laughs> it was. I mean, I was just horrified. And to this day, I'm still talking about it. I clearly was very scarred. That is oh, hilarious. Scarred. I know. I mean, like, literally, I just, I didn't know. I didn't even know that people, like, I, I went somewhere to a hockey game with this person I had met in Philadelphia, and we get in the car with their friends, and they pull out these bottles of alcohol in the car, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? I was so naive. Like, what is happening? Let me out. 
Oh my no. gosh. Yeah, no, no. So well, then I went and I, I got another job. Yeah. Okay. I did. Oh, I so know. you got another job. Okay. So it I wasn't did in advertising. Mm, but you did not go get a temp job. So you, at least that was the moment where you realized I can do something more than be a temp. Uh, well, I mean, my position in marketing at the staffing company wasn't temporary. I just made it temporary. <laughs> but uh, after that, I had met a couple of people, and this one girl worked in advertising for a magazine in Philadelphia, and she was like, I really think you'd be great. Let me get you an interview. You technically would require way more qualifications than you have, but let me ask my boss because I think you'd be awesome. So I got the interview. I got the job. And then I bumped it up to $50,000 a Ooh. year. I'm lying. It was more like 42 plus commission. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I was very excited about that at first, as most of us are, until you realize that, you know, everything about corporate America is very rule-based. Uh, we were supposed to take these lists of phone numbers and people and just cold call them from my desk every day trying to get a meeting. When they didn't accept my meeting, we were supposed to then send them this very shiny, generic white binder full of information that no one was ever going to read. And it becomes this question of like, what is my purpose? This cannot be it. Is this really it? Is this really what all of these other people have been doing all this time? Is this what I've been missing? <laughs> Uh, I was very ambitious to find out these answers and it just wasn't happening. The more money I made did nothing. Like I could go to Target and I could put as many things in my cart as I wanted. <laughs> but then what? It still, it just wasn't enough. And then you go through those questions of, am I just being greedy? Am I, am I not being grateful? Shouldn't I be grateful for what I've got? Um, technically, my situation's not bad. I had moved in with a guy at that point. We built a house together, a new construction home, and he had a four. So you have moved way out of the trailer park at this point. Like this is, like this is a big deal. Oh yeah, but it doesn't feel like it. it you get to all these things that you thought you thought you wanted you because you were like aspiring to middle class. Like you when you were doing all your research at twenty one, you're not even aspiring to become. A millionaire. You're aspiring to eat lemon pepper chicken. Yes, I wanted a staircase. <laughs> I wanted a staircase desperately with like two floors and a house. Yes. And I, I ended up with three floors. We had a finished basement. <laughs> Whoa. So you had all these things that you thought you wanted and yet there's something missing. Yeah, I built myself a prison there. It, it was still not interesting. It, it wasn't right. And that's that's the question that I answer for a lot of women today come to me because it's not like they've had this, this moment where they're you know, on rock bottom, but most of the time they're actually living a semi-decent life, but they still just don't feel fulfilled in any way. So they're like, well, what do I do? Shouldn't I be grateful? So, so what ended up happening was I decided that um, after – going on just endless meeting after endless meeting and feeling very dissatisfied. I wanted to go back to grad school. That was my first answer to the question. Spend $80,000 in loans. <laughs> and right, like go to grad school for something you don't even know if you really want to pursue. It was linguistics because uh, I liked writing. And that was my only clue at the time for what to do next. And I went, right. yep, and I, I decided that that was also very bad. All of my professors, for the in large part, were also just really grumpy. They didn't really seem like they wanted to be there. And I was like, God, these guys don't have it figured out either. <laughs> Seems like you should when you're a professor. <laughs> yes. Educating young minds, yes. Yep. And yet. And then, though, but studying linguistics was useful for a couple of different reasons. One of which was unexpected in the sense that it caused me to start reflecting on the fact that if human beings have developed hundreds of different ways to communicate with one another, then maybe they've also developed hundreds of different ways to be happy. And it just clicked for me. And I wanted to start investigating subcultures. I was here in Philadelphia. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go salsa dancing and I'm going to go to these ethnic restaurants and I'm just going to figure it out. You know, what do these other people know? Maybe they've figured some stuff out. And I ended up dating 
a very good looking man. <laughs> so you broke up with house building guy. I did. I broke up with house building guy. I went, um, I actually did a 10 week volunteer trip to Chile with the UN as a part of my grad studies to kind of like click me in and out of place some way, somehow. And he didn't want me to go. And that's kind of what the straw that in? broke the camel's back was. Right. So I came back and I was this all new woman and I've now been to Chile. So now I'm going to take salsa classes and now I'm going to date this other very good looking man that I meet there. And I was curious by him because he made $10 an hour delivering things in a truck and he didn't care. He didn't seem to have bigger aspirations, but yet he was very content. And so I started to wonder, well, is that the key? Do you, am I just having too many expectations for myself? Maybe I need to lower them. <laughs> and so I did. I started dating this guy, and that was a very bad decision. I decided to quit my job in, in advertising. I was going to become a freelance writer. I was going to throw it all to the wind. I didn't need money. I was going to live this simple life and we were going to go shopping at Kmart. And I know that sounds ridiculous because I've come from the trailer park and that was the last thing I wanted. But then I was like, well, maybe this is full circle. <laughs> and no, and it was, it was a bad idea. I racked up credit card debt. I made very foolish financial decisions. And one day I opened up a drawer of his and I found about 10 different IDs that had his photo and all different names. So then you're like, okay, now I'm really freaked out. And I, I just, I, I realized that I put myself in a very precarious position, not having enough money to really leave. And what do you do? So there was some discussions that happened. He wasn't pleased with my grand discovery. It turned violent and I left. And I found myself in a Kmart parking lot sleeping in my car going, what do you do? What do you do when you've got $26 to your name? You don't have anything to sell. I don't have any family jewels or you know bonds I can cash in. I couldn't even get rid of my car because the dealership wanted me to pay them $2,000 to take it off my hands. Oh my gosh. Yes. It was upside down on the loan. So you're just I basically waiting for it to get repoed and you've got, and you're hiding out in the parking lot of Kmart. I'm hiding. Not even, right. not even Target at this point. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I know. I did one of these like sign curves in life. It was like, Target is definitely down. the middle class cheap store versus Kmart, which is more of the low oh. class one. Yeah. It's like worse than Walmart. Yes. It's, it's there. It's down there. <laughs> yep. And it was terrifying. I was like, oh my gosh, is this when the police come? Are they going to take me away for loitering here? Are they going to bring me downtown? I mean, what's going to happen? Is some guy going to break my glass with a, a crowbar in the middle of the night? What am I doing? What, have I, what am I doing? That moment of truth. So I did also hit rock bottom. And that was when it was like, okay, well, what do people do when they have to do something? And believe it or not, Ruth, I ended up hearing a DJ on the radio when I was sitting there in a Kmart parking lot. And this guy said something that changed the course of my life forever. <laughs> he said, the new Rihanna CD is now available for pre-order. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes! I know. And it just clicked with me. I mean, all of a sudden I was like, okay, two things. Number one, art is worth paying for. And number two you don't necessarily need to have that art finished in order to exchange it for future value. And it just clicked. I might not have had anything physical to sell, but I could sell an idea. And we can all sell our ideas and our creativity. And that night I made my first $2,000 on the internet, uh, making an offer to the world to write for them. And I've never looked back since. Wow. So right like there. Millions of dollars later from writing, you know, just using my voice. From yeah. your car in the Kmart parking lot after hearing Rihanna is pre-ordering her CD. 
Yes. And this was 10 years ago. So it wasn't really like in the car. I didn't have Wi-Fi on my phone. I had to go to an inter- internet cafe the next morning kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, but, I mean, that was basically, it. I mean, basically that's what it was. So, so t- let's talk about that moment because that is I heard, I think I read somewhere that you d- decided that was the moment that you realized that nobody was coming to your rescue. So like, how did that, like, how did that play out for you? What was that? What was the thought process there? Well, maybe it's just me, but have you ever felt at least when you were younger, like maybe one day someone's going to pick you out of a crowd and recognize your brilliance and somehow just be like, yes, that's the girl we've been waiting for. <laughs> Get her on set for this next HBO feature. Yes. <laughs> yes. I used to dream about that. This is my was my big dream. I used to dream that I would be best friends with DJ Tanner from Full House. Oh, my God. Yep. And that they would find me and that they would go, oh, my gosh, you're exactly who we've been looking for. Kimmy Gibbler, who like you are, you are the person that we want. And I was going to live in Full House. And for some reason, like I knew it was a TV show and yet it was still somehow real to me. And that was that was what I that was my dream as a kid. See, if there's this weird sensation. I don't know if we're just overly self-important or what, but like <laughs> someday someone's going to come and they're going to give you the shot that you deserve. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're perfect. To be DJ's best friend. My gosh, her hair. I know. <laughs> Have you seen Fuller House yet? Oh, every episode. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> totally. All right. So good. So we're both there. Um, and Steve next door. I definitely had a crush on her boyfriend, Steve, for the longest time and now as an adult I'm like what was I thinking but yeah. I know he's so dorky he is <laughs> he is but anyway yes so there's that moment where I think younger I definitely was used to obeying authority and looking towards authority for guidance for what to do next and I was a great student I had to be it was my only way to escape the trailer park so I I was used to you know teachers calling me out and saying you're a good kid you know ask Ash to do it. She, she'll get it done, whatever. And I kind of just thought that that pattern would keep happening throughout well, my life. Well, you got the scholarship. So it, in a sense, it did happen for that. That was your big opportunity. And so it's not unsurprising that you would think that would keep happening. And then you got the job that just got handed to you in the marketing department. I mean, it it was a pattern that was happening for you. Yes. Adults were very generous and they, they pointed me out. And so at some point in that parking lot, though, I'm going, where's an adult? <laughs> Can't someone see that I am here and I do not belong here in this parking lot? <laughs> But no one was there. No one is there. And uh, I'm so grateful now for that moment. Because had someone been there to, to bail me out, I, who knows what I would be doing today. Maybe I would, gosh, I, maybe I'd be making $60,000 a year as the <laughs> regional manager of the magazine. I don't know. But um, that, when you when you hit rock bottom that way, you have no choice but to sink or swim. And so in that way, I do think that it's a gift to all of us who get there. I would never take it back because you will swim. You're not going to let yourself sink. And it was just the best thing that ever happened. I showed myself what I was capable of and I did it all myself. And it was wild. Changed my life forever. That's amazing. So you made your $2,000. And then what happened after that? Clearly, you made a few more dollars since then. So let's fast forward to the present day. (laughs) 10 years later. 10 years later, you now have this amazing business. So tell us about what your business looks like today. Yes. So today, I mean, it went through a whole bunch of different iterations. Today, it is entirely media-based digital-based education company for anyone who is now in the position where I once was, whether they're just feeling lost, they want to do something different, but they don't know what. That always is the main thread that runs through it. Um, I talk to a lot of women every day who have great ideas, but they don't know if it's going to work. They don't know if they should invest the time in the idea if it's going to work. They have a lot of people telling them they shouldn't do it. 
So I like to think that I'm the voice who is the bad influence on all the women who definitely can and should do something dangerous, but aren't sure if they should. So it's absolutely the whole, the company itself, that's like the umbrella. And then we do a bunch of different uh, different vertical things that we do as a part of that. So if, if that's online training or if that's a workshop or if that's a book or, you know, whatever it is that comes from it. But now we're focused entirely on the digital aspect, whereas I used to do a lot of one-on-one consulting and I used to actually do writing for people since I was a writer and I loved writing. That was the first iteration of the business was writing for other people. So it's kind of evolved over the years, which I think is so cool. I mean, I have experienced the same thing in my business, but I think that's so cool. And I think that's such a good reminder for people who are listening and thinking about, I want to start a business, but I don't even know what to do. The reality is that you don't have to have the whole plan all figured out right away from the get-go. You're going to start, just start with something, see how it works and see how it evolves from there because even if you don't want it to evolve, it's going to evolve. So you might as well just embrace that. Do what you can figure out what to do right now and worry about the next move when when the time comes. I love that. You're like, even if you don't want it to evolve, it's going to without you. <laughs> it <laughs> it's is. True. It's true. It's true. It's true. And so if I, you, I, I hear that all the time, though. I'm sure you do, too, from the people that you work with. Like, I feel like I need to have it all figured out and I need to have it perfected and I need to have my whole plan in place before I start doing like, you don't really need to have that in place. You just need to start. I mean, you're the great example of that. Just sell something that you don't even have right now and see what happens and then figure it out later. Sometimes that's the best thing that you could ever do. Totally. I love taking any talent, one talent, one skill, whatever it is. I don't care if it's mowing lawns. If you can sell that to one person, you have a business. You can do it. You absolutely can. And you only have to start there. Um, My girlfriend, Chelsea, and I were talking just the other day because she's someone who was originally from Boston. She was an engineer, decided in her mid-30s that she hated it, went to pastry school. Oh, wow. Enrolled herself in that completely different career path and then ended up going to Costa Rica to tour a vanilla farm. Loved it. To this day, 10 years later, she's still in Costa Rica, just built a house there and is now the premier wedding cake bakery for the whole country, right? And so someone was saying to her the other day, Chelsea, though, how do you feel comfortable taking on an order for a cake that you've never made. People ask you for extravagant, completely different random things. How can you take their money if you don't know if you can make it yet? And she's just like, well, I might not know how to make it today, but I'll I'll figure it out. And that I think is the difference in the mindset between having to have it all figured out now and knowing and trusting yourself to know that you'll you'll figure it out as you go. That you will figure it out as you go. That's such, such great advice. Okay, so tell us about the Middle Finger Project. What is that all about? What inspired you to start this? So the blog, you, I mean, you really want me to tell you the, the, like the? (laughs) Well, I want you to keep it clean because we're a family-friendly show. Yes. Uh, The Middle Finger Project, I mean, it started as a blog. It did just start because I was like, okay. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of blogs. Yes. (laughs) Blogs are great. (laughs) It was one of those things, too, where starting off as a freelance writer, I was trying to pitch myself to places like the New York Times and all these big outlets, and I was getting rejected, and finally I realized that I didn't really need anyone's permission to write. I mean, I could write publicly if I wanted to. (laughs) I just needed to put up a site. And so I, I did, but more so because every single person around me at the time, when I was starting to feel these feelings of anxiety and just angst around my advertising job. And I keep trying these new things. I went to grad school. I'm doing all these things. I'm doing everything right. And I still don't feel good about it. So when I would tell my friends, they would just roll their eyes at me and they were just like, welcome to the real world. Get used to it. And it really started to bother me. (laughs) I would get, I would get told all the time in this very just condescending fashion of like, Oh, how's your blog? How's it going? Like, ha ha. But I started it because I didn't have anyone else to talk to about my my thoughts. Yeah. And everyone thought I was crazy. 
And I remember one day a friend of mine said to me in her kitchen, she was my actual friend. She said to me in my kitchen, uh, you know, I just, I just can't believe people like read your blog. It's such common sense. Maybe I should start one. And I was like, gosh, that is harsh. <laughs> but wow. right. It just goes to show that I think when you try to do something different, people do sometimes receive that as criticism for them staying the same. Yes. Very much so. Right? It's it's threatening even if they can't pinpoint why it's threatening. They have – that's the reaction that they have. Anytime somebody around them is doing something different. I was actually just talking about this in my coaching program, literally right before we we came on for this interview, about how our subconscious is constantly trying to keep us in the same space space, right? Because our subconscious is all about just keeping us safe and keeping us alive. Our subconscious doesn't care about the quality of our life. All it cares is like, I want you to stay breathing. I want you to stay doing the things that you know how to do because that is going to keep you safe in your bubble. And so all of these thoughts and limiting beliefs and all of that stuff happens. And anytime you're around somebody else, that's what's happening for them too. So it's not even like they're trying to be jerks to you. It's just that their subconscious is trying to keep them safe too. You oh, have to fight so against much it. Sense. It's yeah. It's like I know that my friend would never say these things willingly to me. Almost it just kind of things were coming out of people's mouths that were super offensive to me. But I recognize that almost as by me challenging the status quo. You know, to them, it's like, well, you're challenging me and my decisions to stay with it. And gosh, that's a hard thing to navigate, especially when you're talking to people who really do care about you and love you, your parents, your spouse, and they don't really think that what you're doing is a smart decision to be making. You have to have that self-trust to understand that you're the only person who can live your life for you. Yep. So that's how you came up with a name? Uh, It's not. (laughs) I... (laughs) It's not. I will tell the story in a very PG fashion okay. as much as I can. I was on my final one of my final advertising calls with a client who was, you know, he was a, a hard client to get to pin down. He was a very busy man, and so finally one day when I called him, he agreed reluctantly and said, "But only on one condition: you have to meet me in this bar in the middle of nowhere, not in the office, because I'm out and about on site." And I said, "Done and done. I will be right there." Because I wanted this deal so much. For me, every deal that I got signed was like another little insurance policy that I was going to be okay, right? I was very determined as a salesperson. And I got there and I should have known it was going to be a red flag when he looked at the waitress and immediately ordered two of the regular. It was maybe like two or three in the afternoon. The regular was Long Island iced tea. So I'm like, okay... I'm from Scranton. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Like, I got this. I know how this this rolls. And we started having this conversation and he took over and he started saying really inappropriate things to me at the table where I felt like this tiny little girl and he was this like powerful white man. And it was so inappropriate, I remember. And then finally I steered the conversation back to the reason why we were there and business and advertising how I could help his company. And he took out in that moment a Polaroid from his satchel. I have no idea why this man had a Polaroid camera, but but he did. And while I'm talking, he starts snapping Polaroids of me at the table. What? It was so inappropriate. And the waitress is looking at us like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but it was so creepy. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this guy the way I would deal with a guy like this in Susquehanna County. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I know this guy. You know, he's usually kind of drunk and and just gross in general. So I got up and I actually slid myself in the booth next to him. And I said, okay, Terry, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to sign this contract. I felt like I had to talk to him like a third grader. You're going to sign this contract. And I put a contract in front of him for double the amount of money just because (laughs) now (laughs) Now it's payback. Yes. I always had my assistant draw up two. 
uh, one for the what the company wanted and one for double because I could always get it. <laughs> so I slid him the one for double and I said, you're going to sign this and I'm going to take your camera. And I kind of took it from him and I'm like, I'm going to take your camera and I'm going to go into the bathroom and I'm going to take a very special picture for you. And then that's going to be our deal. All right. We got a deal. And he was like, well, no, I know a good deal when I see one. And I'm like, oh, good. Okay. Yeah, sure you do. So I left him. I went into the bathroom. I took a photograph and then I came back out and um, Terry looked at me very expectantly. I took the contract that was now signed. I said, thank you. I put on my coat and he was kind of like, well, what about my picture? And I said, oh, you know, this one. And I I threw it down on the table and I just turned around and walked out and I heard him groan from the parking lot because he had not expected a picture of my middle finger. <laughs> and then I started my blog. <laughs> and that's why it's called The Middle that Finger Project. That is amazing. That is amazing. I love it. I was done. So much. I, I love done. it. So you know, much. like my my boss was a creep. Not usually this guy was a creep. Those kind of stories end. So, like, well done. <laughs> That's an amazing name, and I I love it. I mean, it's truly it's inspiring right. because I think so often that happens, and it's not just like that specific situation, but so often women get into those situations where we lose all of our power and we feel like we can't fight back. And to be a voice and to be an example of that is amazing. It's amazing. Oh gosh. Yes. And we do that thing. I think at first I tried to do where you just kind of like poo poo it and you're like, you know, there, there kind of thing. Like now, now Terry, Mm -hmm. you, you behave. And then you kind of still, Yes, you're in that position of powerlessness, but um, I I was just, I had had it at that point with all the different things happening and all the disappointment in everyone. (laughs) I was like, fine, the middle finger project. (laughs) Okay, so that was clearly the final straw for you, leaving your your day job and starting your blog, doing your own thing. Uh, What... What are some signs that someone who's not maybe in that drastic of a situation would need to know what that they that they're it's time to quit their job? Because you're a huge you're a huge proponent for a huge believer in entrepreneurship. That's what you teach women how to do is start businesses and make their mark in the world to embrace themselves. What are the signs that they need to start listening to that intuition? Yeah, yes, and make their own money. Yes, jeez. Yeah, you know, I, I just created a fun new quiz the other day called Should You Quit Your Job? So this is fresh in my mind. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, about the signs. And I really think that it's interesting because out of the 20 signs that I was writing in this quiz, at the end of the day, I was like, listen, if you're feeling any of these, you should quit your job. I think if you're taking a quiz called Should You Quit Your Job? You should quit your job. Because... <laughs> So if you're taking this quiz, the answer is yes. <laughs> that's, that's the quiz. <laughs> that would be amazing. Actually. Right? I mean, it almost was that for me. I think that the results are a couple of different things. Like, well, what do you do first? I mean, some, you might not be ready right the second, but the answer might still be yes, even if that means later this year or when you're actually ready. So I think that, you know, so many, so much of imposter syndrome that we feel as women comes from faking the enjoyment every day of our lives that we're actually happy to wake up and go to this job because so much of us, so many of us do things, I think, because they make sense. So even if you're starting your own business, you might think, well, my background's in accounting. So it makes sense to start some kind of business in accounting. But I am a firm believer that you can do things that make sense that still make you miserable. So oftentimes, you're faking the enjoyment every day to your clients, to your customers, to yourself, trying to buy in to the fact that you're doing something good. And I think that that's the first sign. If you feel like an imposter every day, it's worth asking yourself. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it really is that you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um and we, we guilt ourselves so much about that because it's like, well, something's wrong with me if I don't like this thing. But that's not true. So number one, if you're feeling that dread every single day, of course. Like, of course you need to evaluate some things. This is not normal. This is not like welcome to the real world. This is not 
what work is supposed to feel like. I think a lot of us are under the impression, we bought into that narrative that, quote, work is hard. That's why they call it work. Yep. Or that you're supposed to be kind of just dreading it every day that so many people do. And so... And the reality is that a lot of people do, and it can start to feel normal, especially when you're in a situation where everyone around you hates their jobs too. And you then you think that that is, that is how it has to be, but that's not how it has to be. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, the, the normalization of the feeling. Misery. Yes, of misery. Oh, that just like kind of hit me across the face when you said that. Yeah, that. And I think it's also worth noting, too, that sometimes what we were talking about earlier, that feeling where you keep telling yourself, like, I should just be grateful. I should just be grateful. That's a sign that you actually might not be. (laughs) You'd be better (laughs) off if you weren't. Sorry. (laughs) That's a sign that you shouldn't be grateful. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, Well, I think sometimes we equate gratitude or to like be not being grateful as a negative quality and not realizing that discontentment can also be a sign that something needs to change. Like you can be grateful for food to eat and a bed to sleep in and feel a sense of gratitude in your life. But that doesn't mean that you have to be content with everything that is the way that it's happening. Those are two very, very different things. And one is not contingent on the other, but I think a lot of times we equate those two as the same thing. So true. Yes, I think gratitude is not the same as gratifying. And right, like my assistant right now, she used to be a teacher. And she told me that she started reading my blog because she had this overwhelming sense of guilt every day. She was going to work and she had studied hard for it. She had a great job. She had a good, stable job, and that's what she was supposed to want. And everyone around her told her she would be a fool to give it up at this school district and everything. You know, she had the perfect setup. And she kept saying to me every day, I just felt like my bones were rotting in place as I sat there at my desk while the rest of the world was out living their lives. I was here and my bones were just rotting. So I think that's a good indicator if you feel like your bones are (laughs) rotting. Number three, if you feel like your bones are rotting, it's time to quit your job right now. Like, don't let them rot any longer. (laughs) Yeah. And I think another thing it's important to remember, too, is that you can always go back. I mean, there's really no rules that say if you quit your job today and try something new and it doesn't work out, that you can't actually go back to what you were doing before. You absolutely can. That's not really a sign, but I just had to throw it in there because you can. Um, yeah. Sometimes being scared to do the next thing, though, I think is another good sign because it means usually that you want to do it, right? Yep. If you didn't really care about it, you wouldn't feel that fear. I'm speaking to the fear queen myself right now. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fear because I want to hear a little bit. I know we don't have much time left and I want to hear you took the fear assessment and I have it up. I have it up. Fear archetype. So I want to know how have you seen that? First of all, I, I was not surprised when you told me. I know what it is, but I'm, I'm keeping everyone in suspense as they're listening to this right now. It's, it's, it's so dramatic. <laughs> Should have some sort of music. Maybe we can add that in later. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> but how have you? What first of all, what did you think with your of your archetype, and how have you seen that specifically play out in your life? So first of all, what is it? What are you? So I'm an outcast. <laughs> I, I totally feel like I could have predicted totally that. Totally makes sense. And yes, and especially after I saw all the other archetypes afterwards listed, then I was like, oh yeah, it, it, absolutely. There was, there'd be no other one that would peg me so well. I'll, let me start off with the good characteristics of the arch- of the of the outcast. <laughs> I like. I'm also an outcast. I also like to focus on the good characteristics. Oh, good. Yes. I mean, I, I loved it. It said you're very self motivated and driven to succeed, and you can be an effective leader, and you're persistent and willing to take risks, which I love. Strong leadership and boldness. Love it. On the opposite side, though. You sometimes struggle as part of a team and you may self-destruct, <laughs> which as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yup. Yep. You appear fearless and unfazed by what others think. 
Um, you fear rejection, often push people away in order to avoid being rejected first. I thought that was really interesting. It talks about cynicism and detachment being a huge part of that. The biggest part for me, though, was because I'm publishing a book right now and I've had to work in a team more than I ever have in like a decade, it has really, that just jumped right out at me because there are certain things that I push back on because I'm so used to doing it myself. I almost just want to do it myself. I don't want to have to cooperate and do it like your way. Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Having a publisher is like having a boss. And as an outcast, I really struggle with that too, because they want things to be their way. And I want things to be my way because that's why I started my own business. (laughs) Yes. It's it's just, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Note to publishers. If you're listening to this, you should really probably not sign with Outcast. It's not, <laughs> it's not great. I mean, I hope I do a good job, but it's it, it's like a lot of stuff with creativity. But so yeah. much of my job, the ways that I've gotten ahead in life have been by really leaning on my creative side and yes. you know having this really sense of originality in my work and incorporating that. Um, you know what? I actually read a study once that talked about the difference between happiness and meaningfulness. Sidebar. Um, happiness is about getting what you want, but meaningfulness is about getting what you want and expressing and defining yourself while you do it. Mm. Right. So that's what I've been doing. Like all that, like, you know, creative side. And then when you get into publishing, it's kind of like, well, here's how it's done. And here's like the media kit. And here's like the, yeah. And I was like, can we we do something crazy? Like, can I just send out my books in like a safe or something (laughs) nuts? And they're like, no, no. No, 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 you're we can't do that. We don't do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel so, you. I feel you on that one. But the self the self sabotage was concerning when I read that because I started thinking, like, is that true? And do I sometimes get snippy with people who are trying to guide me in one way or another? Do I, or am I right? <laughs> <laughs> that is your way of rejecting them before you can be rejected in return. Yeah. And it's almost like, okay, even even with book sales, it's like, okay, well, you don't want to pre-order my book. Fine. I don't want you to pre-order my book. You don't deserve (laughs) to read this book. (laughs) Right. Before, right. It's almost like, gosh, am I, am I doing that more than I think? So that was very, very eye-opening. I appreciated the assessment. Interesting. So, okay, well, this is a good segue into the book since we're talking about it. So tell us, tell us all about the book. It comes out very soon. Right. In fact, by the time this goes live, it might already be out. February eleventh. Woohoo! Yes. So you have to get the book. It's yes, really it's- good. Give us like top three reasons they need this book. Oh my god! I think that I did something that I people told me I couldn't pull off, which was combining memoir with self help. In the beginning of this publishing journey everyone, the experts were kind of like, uh, no, it needs to be clearly in one category or another because that's how publishers, that's how everyone defines it. That's how they work. So you can't blend the two. And I actually did it successfully. So I think that that's the best part for me is that this book is self-help. It's like, here's all the stuff that I've learned in this 10 years of figuring out how to make money for myself and do hard things and be a mother to myself when things go wrong. And all of that stuff that comes. Um, but it also has this really fun, entertaining memoir side. So my hope is that you enjoy reading it. And I feel like a fun kind of like, you know, crazy big sister to you. So that's the first reason. <laughs> and it gets a little different. Um, the second reason I would say to read the book, I got this feedback from someone else and they said, there's a really interesting juxtaposition that you see play out here in this story and this in the whole thing because you are known for having this bold voice, the outcast archetype, having this bold, you know, fearless persona that you display and you see that come out in a lot of the things that you're talking about and like the story with, you know, Terry the guy, like that kind of stuff. But you also see this juxtaposition of the softer version that we kind of have inside of all of us, the naive side of me, the the sweet, soft part where we're all just looking for love. For love and to figure it out. And I think that's that's nice. As a reader, I think that that's kind of a cool so thing. So it's to relatable. See. Very relatable. 
I hope so. I hope people see yes. that like you can be both. You don't have to be like this like powerhouse crazy person or you don't have to just like let everyone step all over you. You can figure out how to do both. I love that. Um, yeah. And I mean, the third reason is that if you are someone who feels like an imposter every day or who isn't sure what you want to do next, I all the work that I do with women every day a lot of it is talking through, no, okay, so here's how you write a really killer proposal. Here's how you can, you know, like 3x your income. Here's how you can do a lot of the technical stuff. But at the end of the day, what every single woman needs is not actually the technical stuff. It is the emotional piece. It's the confidence and the courage. And just someone who actually believes in them and someone who they can look at and say, if she did it, I do it too. Yes. People, yes. People tell me all the time, I love your voice because I feel like your voice gives me mine. So that is the biggest hope I have for I this love book. It. Just that piece of it, the mental side. I love it. I love it. So get the book. It will change your life. It's Hopefully. amazing. <laughs> and we're almost out of time. So I'm going to skip to the last question that I always ask everybody on the podcast. It's a really big one. It's a really important one. Are you ready for it? Yeah. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received and why? So I already know the answer. <laughs> That's good. It's three words and it is go, 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 given to me by Seth Godin in the beginning of this book journey, actually. And as soon as he said those three words, it clicked with me. And I just, I did it. Like we were talking about earlier, the value of just starting and then iterating along the way. Hearing those three words is really important for me. I've almost thought about getting them tattooed on myself. Wow. And I don't even have tattoos. So that's a crazy <laughs> thing. Yes. So go, go, go. Best piece of advice I've ever been given. I keep oh, it in the back I of my mind it. all the time. Yes. So good. So good. All right. Any final thoughts? Anything else you want to know? And then let us know where we can find you online and where we can find the book. Yay! Well, definitely the Middle Finger Project is is now all the things. It's themiddlefingerproject.org. I mentioned we have that fun quiz coming up. We now have this hysterical quit your job store that we're creating, which is all free if you're at that position and you're like, what do I do next? And we have 25 days to 100K, which is if you're already starting to freelance, how to take your skill and really sell it. So that's the best place for it. The book is there. All the things are there. And then I try to be on Instagram and Twitter, <laughs> but I'm such a bad Instagrammer. I'm trying to get better am, about it. I am the worst Instagrammer. I don't think I've Instagrammed anything since dis- the beginning of December. <laughs> I'm so bad. And people are always like, why aren't you better at that? I'm like, I'm a writer. I'm not a photographer. I'm so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. So just so you know, you don't have to be good at Instagram to have a business. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> and I will just add that since we have the name The Middle Finger Project, a lot of advertising platforms ban us from using ads. Oh. So you don't even have to run ads to have a successful business. There you go. <laughs> there you go. See? There you go. Yay. Thank you so much Ash, for having me. You're thank the best. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. So much good stuff. And I'll have to have you back soon. Thanks for listening to my man voice for an hour. <laughs> Okay, so don't forget that if you would like to get all the show notes for this episode, along with all the links to everything that we just talked about, you can find it all at dowitscared.com slash episode 95. Once again, get all the show notes and links on our website at dowitscared.com slash episode 95. And then while you're there, be sure to also take our fear assessment to find out exactly how fear might be standing in your way and what you can actually do about it. And then before we go, I just want to say, as always, that I love hearing from you. So if you have any questions about what we talked about today, any other topics that you would like to see addressed on the Do It Scared podcast, any questions that you want to ask me for our quick win episodes, please feel free to reach out either via email or just by messaging me on Instagram. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Stuka podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, I would love it. Seriously, I would love it if you would post a review on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to be notified of new episodes. 
And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week for another Get Ruthed coaching session. Oh, yes. There is a lot of tough love inside me that just needs to come out. So watch out because you know it's going to be good. And I will catch you then.